0: to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be
1: reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea Part 2 Chapters 1 and 2 In the previous chapters, Professor Aranax and his comrades were
0: mysteriously put to sleep by Captain Nemo, having lost one of the crew of the Nautilus. To grave, unexplained injuries upon waking. In the following chapters, our protagonists begin to cast doubt on Captain Nemo whilst they continue their marvellous underwater
1: adventures. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cozy. Take a deep, relaxing breath and settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you'll need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Part 2 Chapter 1 The Indian Ocean. We now come to the second part of our journey under the sea. The first ended
0: with the moving scene in the coral cemetery, which left such a deep impression on my mind. Thus, in the midst of this great sea, Captain Nemo's life was passing,
1: even to his grave, which he had prepared in one of its deepest abysses. There, not
0: one of the ocean's monsters could trouble the last sleep of the crew of the
1: Nautilus, of those friends riveted to each other, in death as in life. Nor any man, either. Had added the captain.
0: Still the same fierce, implacable defiance towards human society. I could no longer content myself with the theory which satisfied Concier. That worthy fellow persisted in seeing the commander of the Nautilus, one of those unknown savants. Return mankind contempt for indifference. For him, he was a misunderstood genius, who, tired of Earth's deceptions, had taken refuge in this inaccessible medium, where he might follow his instincts freely. To my mind, this explains but one side of Captain Nemo's character. Indeed, The mystery of that last night during which we had been chained in prison. The sleep and the precautions so violently taken by the captain of snatching from my eyes the glass I had raised to the horizon. The mortal wound of the man due to an unaccountable shock of the Nautilus. All put me on a new track. No. Captain Nemo was not satisfied with Shunning Man. His formidable apparatus not only suited his instinct of freedom, but perhaps also
1: the design of some terrible retaliation. At this moment, nothing is clear to me.
0: I catch but a glimpse of light amidst all the darkness and I must confine myself to writing as events shall dictate.
1: That day, the 24th of January, 1868, at noon, the second officer came to take the altitude of the sun. I mounted the platform, lit a cigar, and watched the operation. It seemed to me
0: that the man did not understand French, for several times I made remarks in a loud voice, which must have drawn him some involuntary
1: sign of attention, if he had understood them, but he remained undisturbed and dumb.
0: As he was taking observations with the sextant, one of the sailors of the Nautilus, the strong man who had accompanied us on our first submarine excursion to the island of Crespo came to clean the glasses of the lantern. I examined the fittings of the apparatus, the strength of which was increased a hundredfold by lenticular rings, placed similarly to those in lighthouses, and which projected their brilliance in a horizontal plane. The electric lamp was combined in such a way as to give its most powerful light. Indeed, it was produced in a vacuo, which ensured both its steadiness and its intensity. This vacuum economized the graphite points between which the luminous arc was developed, an important point of economy for Captain Nemo. Who could not easily have replaced them, and under these conditions, their waste was imperceptible. When the Nautilus was ready to continue its submarine journey, I went down to the saloon. The panel was closed, and the course marked direct west. We were furrowing the waters of the Indian Ocean. A vast liquid plain with a surface of one billion two hundred millions of acres. And those waters are so clear and transparent that anyone leaning over them would turn giddy. The Nautilus usually floated between fifty and a hundred fathoms deep. We went on so for some days. To anyone but myself, who had a great love for the sea, the hours would have seemed long and monotonous. But the daily walks on the platform, when I steeped myself in the reviving air of the ocean, the sight of the rich waters through the window of the saloon, the books in the library, the compiling of my memoirs, took up all my time and left me not a moment of ennui or weariness.
1: For some days we saw a great number of aquatic birds, sea mews or gulls.
0: Some were cleverly killed, and prepared in a certain way, made very acceptable water game. Amongst large winged birds, carried a long distance from all lands, resting upon the waves from the fatigue of their flight, I saw some magnificent albatrosses uttering discordant cries like the brain of an ass, and the birds belonging to the family of the long wings. As to the fish, they always provoked our admiration when we surprised the secrets of their aquatic life. Through the open panels. I saw many kinds which I never before had a chance of observing. I shall notice chiefly australians peculiar to the Red Sea, the Indian Ocean, and that part which washes the coast of tropical America. These fishes, like the tortoise, the armadillo, the sea hedgehog, and the crustacea are protected by a breastplate which
1: is neither chalky nor stony but real bone. In some it takes the form of a solid triangle, in others of a solid quadrangle. Amongst the triangular I saw
0: some of an inch and a half in length with wholesome flesh and a delicious flavour. They are brown at the tail and yellow at the fins, and I recommend their introduction into fresh water, to which a certain number of sea fish easily accustom themselves. I would also mention quadrangular ostrations, having on the back four large tubicles, Having on the back four large tubercles, some dotted over with white spots on the lower part of their body, and which may be tamed like birds. Trigons provided with spikes formed by the lengthening of their bony shell, and which, from their strange gruntings, are called sea pigs. Also dromedaries. With large humps in
1: the shape of a cone, whose flesh is very tough and leathery. I now borrow from the daily notes of Master Concier. Certain fish
0: of the genus Petrodon, peculiar to those seas, with red backs and white chests, which are distinguished by three rows of longitudinal filaments and some electrical, seven inches long, decked in the liveliest colours. Then, as specimens of other kinds, some ovioids, resembling an egg of a dark brown colour, marked with white bands, and without tails. Deodons, real sea porcupines, furnished with spikes, and capable of swelling in such a way
1: as to look like cushions bristling with darts. Hippocampi, common to every ocean, some
0: pegasi with lengthened snouts, which their pectoral fins, being much elongated and formed in the shape of wings, allow, if not to fly, at least to shoot into the air. Pigeon spatulae, with tails covered with many rings of shell. Macroganthii, with long jaws, an excellent fish, nine inches long and bright with most agreeable colours. Pale-coloured kalimors, with rugged heads, and plenty of chetepton, with long and tubular muzzles. Which kill insects by shooting them, as from an air
1: gun, with a single drop of water. These we may call the fly catchers of the sea.
0: In the 89th genus of fishes, classed by lassiped, belonging to the second lower class of bony, characterized by opercules and bronchial membranes. I remarked the scorpiana, the head of which is furnished with spikes, and which has but one dorsal fin. These creatures are covered, or not, with little shells, according to the subclass to which they belong. The second subclass gives us specimens of didactyls, fourteen or fifteen inches in length with yellow rays and heads of a most fantastic appearance. As to the first subclass, it gives several specimens of that singular looking fish, appropriately called a sea frog, with large head, sometimes pierced with holes, sometimes swollen with protuberances, bristling with spikes and covered with turbicles, It has irregular and hideous horns. Its body and tail are covered with callosities.
1: Its sting makes a dangerous wound. It is both repugnant and horrible to look at. From the 21st to the 23rd of
0: January, the Nautilus went at the rate of 250 leagues in 24 hours, being 540 miles or 22 miles an hour. If we recognised so many different varieties of fish, it was because, attracted by the electric light, they tried to follow us. The greater part, however, were soon distanced by our speed, though some
1: kept their pace in the waters of the Nautilus for a time. The morning of the 24th, in 12 degrees 5 feet south latitude and
0: 94 degrees 33 feet longitude, we observed Keeling Island, a coral formation planted with magnificent cocos, and which had been visited by Mr. Darwin and Captain Fitzroy. The Nautilus skirted the shores of this deserted island for a little distance. Its nets brought up numerous specimens of polypi and curious shells of mollusca. Some precious productions of the species of Delphinulae enriched the treasures of Captain Nemo, to which I added an Astraea punctifera, a kind of parasite polypus often found fixed to a shell. Soon Keeling Island disappeared from the horizon,
1: and our course was directed to the northwest. In the direction of the Indian Peninsula. From Keeling Island, our course was slower and more variable,
0: often taking us into great depths. Several times they made use of the inclined planes, which certain internal levers placed obliquely to the waterline. In that way, we went about two miles, but without ever obtaining the greatest depths of the Indian Sea, which soundings of seven thousand fathoms have never reached. As to the temperature of the lower strata, the thermometer invariably indicated four degrees above zero. I only observed that in the upper regions, The water was always colder in the high levels
1: than the surface of the sea. On the 25th of January, the ocean was entirely
0: deserted. The Nautilus passed the day on the surface, beating the waves with its powerful screw and making them rebound to a great height. Who under such circumstances would not have taken it for a gigantic
1: cetacean? Three parts of this day I spent on the platform. I watched the sea. Nothing on the horizon till about four o'clock
0: a steamer running west on our counter. Her masts were visible for an instant but she could not see the Nautilus being too low in the water. I fancied this steamboat belonged to the P.O. Company, which runs from Ceylon to Sydney, touching at King George's Point and Melbourne. At five o'clock in the evening, before that fleeting twilight which binds night to day in tropical zones, Concier and I were astonished by a curious spectacle. It was a shoal of Argonauts travelling along on the surface of the ocean. We could count several hundreds. They belonged to the tubercule kind, which are peculiar to the Indian seas. These graceful mollusks moved backwards by means of their locomotive tube, through which they propelled the water already drawn in. Of their eight tentacles, six were elongated and stretched out floating on the water,
1: whilst the other two, rolled up flat, were spread to the wing like a light sail, I saw their spiral-shaped and fluted shells, which Curva justly
0: compares to an elegant skiff. A boat indeed. It bears the creature which secretes it without its adhering to it. For nearly an hour the Nautilus floated in the midst of this shawl of mollusks. Then I know not what sudden fright they took, but as if at a signal, every sail was furled, the arms folded, the body drawn in, the shells turned over, changing their center of gravity, and the whole fleet disappeared under the waves.
1: Never did the ships of a squadron maneuver with more unity. At that moment, night fell suddenly, and the reeds scarcely raised by the breeze lay peaceably under the sides of the Nautilus. The next day, the 26th of January, we cut the equator at the 82nd meridian
0: and entered the Northern Hemisphere. During the day, a formidable troop of sharks accompanied us.
1: Terrible creatures, which multiply in these seas and make them very dangerous. They were
0: Cestratio sharks, with brown backs and whitish bellies. Armed with eleven rows of teeth. Eyed sharks, their throat being marked with a large black spot surrounded with white like an eye.
1: There were also some Isabella sharks, with rounded snouts marked with dark spots. These
0: powerful creatures often hurled themselves at the windows of the saloon with such violence as to make us feel very insecure. At such times, Nedland was no longer master of himself. He wanted to go to the surface and harpoon the monsters, particularly certain smooth hound sharks, whose mouth is studded with teeth like a mosaic, and large tiger sharks, nearly six yards long, the last named of which seems to excite him more particularly but the Nautilus accelerating her speed easily left the most rapid of them behind. On the 27th of January, at the entrance of the vast Bay of Bengal, we met repeatedly with a forbidding spectacle. Dead bodies floating on the surface of the water. They were dead of the Indian villages. Carried by the Ganges to the level of the sea, and which the vultures, the only undertakers of the country, had not been able to devour.
1: But the sharks did not fail to help them at their funeral work. About seven o'clock in the evening, the Nautilus,
0: half immersed, Was sailing in a sea of milk.
1: At first sight, the ocean seemed lactified. Was it the effect of the lunar rays? No, for the moon, scarcely two
0: days old, was still lying hidden under the horizon
1: in the rays of the sun. The whole sky, though lit by the side-reel rays,
0: seemed black by contrast with the whiteness of the waters. Concier could not believe his eyes and questioned me as to the cause of this strange
1: phenomenon. Happily, I was able to answer him. It is called a milk sea, I explained, a large extent of white
0: wavelets often to be seen on the coasts of Ambiona
1: and in these parts of the sea. But sir, said Concier, can you
0: tell me what causes such an effect? For I suppose the water is not really turned into milk. No, my boy, and the whiteness which suppresses you is caused only by the presence of myriads of insifuria, a sort of luminous little worm, gelatinous and without colour, of the thickness of a hair, and whose length is not more than seven thousandths of an
1: inch. These insects adhere to one another. Sometimes for several leagues. Several leagues? exclaimed Concier.
0: Yes, my boy, and you need not try to compute the number of these infrasuria. You will not be able, for, if I'm not mistaken, ships have
1: floated on these milk seas for more than forty miles. Towards midnight, the sea suddenly resumed its usual colour, but behind
0: us, even to the limits of the horizon, the sky reflected the whitened waves, and for a long time
1: seemed impregnated with the vague glimmerings of an aurora borealis. Chapter 2 A Novel Proposal of Captain Nemo's. On the 28th of February, when at noon the Nautilus came to the surface of the sea,
0: in nine degrees four feet north latitude, there was land in sight about eight miles to the westward. The first thing I noticed. Was a range of mountains about two thousand feet high, the shapes of which were most capricious. On taking the bearings, I knew that we were nearing the island of Ceylon, the pearl which hangs from the lobe of the Indian Peninsula. Captain Nemo and his second appeared at this moment,
1: the captain glanced at the map, then turning to me, said, "The island of Ceylon, noted for its pearl fisheries. Would you like to visit one of them, Monsieur Anax? Certainly, Captain. Well, this thing is easy. So, if we see the fisheries." We shall not see the fishermen.
0: The annual exportation has not yet begun. Never mind. I will give orders to make for the Gulf of Manar,
1: where we shall arrive in the night. The captain said something to his second, who immediately went out. Soon the Nautilus
0: returned to her native element, and the manometer showed
1: that she was about thirty feet deep. Well, sir, said Captain Nemo,
0: you and your companions shall visit the bank of Manar, and if
1: by chance some fisherman should be there, we shall see him at work agreed captain bye bye monsieur aranax you are not afraid of sharks sharks i exclaimed this question seemed a very hard one well continued captain nemo i admit captain
0: I am not yet very familiar with that kind of fish.
1: We are accustomed to them, replied Captain Nemo. And in time, you will be too. However, we shall be armed, and on the road, we may be able to hunt some of the tribe. It is interesting. So, till tomorrow, sir. And early. This said in a careless tone, Captain Nemo left the saloon.
0: Now, if you were invited to hunt the bear
1: in the mountains of Switzerland, what would you say? Very well. Tomorrow we will go and hunt the bear. If you are asked to hunt the lion, in the plains of Atlas, or the tiger in the Indian jungles, what would you say? Ha <laughs> ha It seems we are going to hunt the tiger or the lion. But when you are invited to hunt the shark in its natural element, you would perhaps reflect
0: before accepting the invitation. As for myself, I passed my hand over my forehead, on
1: which stood large drops of cold perspiration. Let us reflect, said I, and take our time. Hunting otters in submarine
0: forests, as we did in the island of Crispo, will pass, but going up and down at the bottom of the sea where one is almost certain to meet sharks is quite another thing i know well that in certain countries particularly in the adaman islands people have never hesitated to attack them with a dagger in one hand and a running noose in the other but i also know that few who affront those creatures ever return
1: alive. However, I am not like those people, and even if I were, I think a little hesitation in this case would not be ill-timed. At this moment, Concier and the Canadian entered, quite composed and even joyous. They knew not what awaited them. Faith, sir, said Land. Your Captain Nemo, the devil take him, has just made us a very pleasant offer. Ah, said I, you know. If agreeable to you, sir, interrupted
0: Concier. The commander of the Nautilus has invited us to visit the magnificent Ceylon Fisheries tomorrow,
1: in your company. He did it kindly, and behaved like a real gentleman. He said nothing more. Nothing more, sir, except that he had already spoken to you of this little walk. Sir, said concierge, would you give us some details of the pearl fishery? As to the fishery itself, I asked, or the incidents, which? On the fishing, replied the Canadian.
0: Before entering upon the ground, it is as well to know something
1: about it. Very well. Sit down, my friends, and I will teach you. Ned and Concier seated themselves on an ottoman, and the first thing the Canadian asked was, Sir, what is a pearl? My worthy Ned, I answered, to the poet,
0: a pearl is a tear of the sea. To the Orientals, it is a drop of dew, solidified. To the Ladies, it is a jewel of an oblong shape, of a brilliancy of -of mother-of-pearl substance, which they wear on their fingers, their necks, or their ears. For the Chemist, it is a mixture of phosphate and carbonate of lime, with a little gelatine, And lastly, for the naturalist, it is simply a morbid secretion of the organ that
1: produces the mother-of-pearl amongst certain bivalves. Branch of mollusks, said Concier. Precisely so, my learned Concier.
0: And among these testacea and ear-shell, the tridacne. The turbots, in a word, all those which secrete mother-of-pearl, that is, the blue, bluish, violet or white substance which lines the interior of their shells, are capable of producing
1: pearls." "'Muscles, too?' asked the Canadian. "Yes." Masses of certain waters in Scotland, Wales, Ireland, Saxony, Bohemia and France. Good. For the future I shall pay attention, replied the Canadian. But, I continued, the particular
0: mollusk which secretes the pearl is the pearl oyster. The Meleguina Margarita effect, that precious pintadine. The pearl is nothing but an acraticious formation, deposited in a globular form, either adhering to the oyster shell, or buried in the folds of the creature.
1: On the shell, it is fast; in the flesh, it is loose, but always has a kernel.
0: A small hard substance, maybe a barren egg, maybe a grain of sand, around which the pearl matter deposits
1: itself, year after year successively, and by thin concentric layers. Are many pearls found in the same oyster? asked Concier. Yes, my boy. Some are perfect cask. One oyster has been mentioned,
0: though I allow myself to doubt it, as having contained no less than a hundred and fifty sharks.
1: A hundred and fifty sharks? exclaimed Nedland. Did I say sharks? said I, hurriedly. I mean to say... A hundred and fifty pearls sharks would not make sense, certainly not said Concier,
0: but will you tell us now by what means they extract these pearls?
1: They proceed in various ways when they adhere to the shell. The fishermen
0: often pull them off with pincers but the most common way is to lay the oysters on mats of seaweed which cover the banks. Thus they die in the open air, and at the end of ten days they are in a forward state of decomposition. They are then plunged into large reservoirs of seawater, then they are opened and washed.
1: "'The price of these pearls vary according to their size?' asked Concier. "'Not only according to their size,' I answered, "'but
0: also according to their shape, their water, that is, their colour, "'and their luster, that is, that bright and diapered sparkle "'which makes them so charming to the eye.' The most beautiful are called virgin pearls, or paragons. They are formed alone in the tissue of the mollusk, are white, often opaque, and sometimes have the transparency of an opal. They are generally round or oval. The round are made into bracelets, the oval into pendants, and being more precious, are sold singly. Those adhering to the shell of the oyster are more irregular in shape and are sold by weight. Lastly, in a lower order, are classed those small pearls known under the name of seed pearls. They are sold by measure
1: and are especially used in embroidery for church ornaments. But, said Concier, is this pearl fishery dangerous? No, I answered quickly. Particularly if certain precautions are taken. What does one risk in such a calling? said Ned. The swallowing of some mouthfuls of seawater? As you say, Ned. By the by, said I, trying to take Captain Nemo's careless tone, Are you afraid of sharks, brave Ned? Aye, replied the Canadian, a harpooner by profession. It is my trade to make light of them. But, I said, It is not a question of fishing for them with an iron swivel,
0: hoisting them into the vessel, cutting off their tails
1: with a blow of a chopper, ripping them up and throwing their hearts into the sea. Then it is a question of... Precisely. In the water. In the water. Faith, with a good harpoon. You know, sir, these sharks are ill-fashioned beasts.
0: They turn on their bellies to seize you, and in that time...
1: Netland had a way of saying seize, which made my blood run cold. Well, and you, concier, what do you think of sharks? "'Me?' said Concierge. "'I will be frank, sir.' "'So much the better,' thought I. "'If you, sir, mean to face the sharks, I do not see why your faithful servant should not face them with you.'